All right, will you please open your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 1. I know we started this uh, series last week. We looked at the first three verses, and uh, today we're going to finish that chapter, the first chapter, as we look at how the Lord handles the disobedience of Jonah, who is now on the run from God. Is anybody here on the run from God this morning? If you are, you know it in your heart, and I pray that this message speaks to you. Our sermon text is from verses uh, 4 through 17, but let's just go ahead and start at verse 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They say to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And he, Jonah, said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. (laughs) For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, 
and lay not on us His innocent blood, for You, O Lord, have done as it has pleased You. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient word. This, what we just read, is the word of the living God. Bless it. Anoint it. It's living. It's sharper. Lord, may it dig deep in our hearts this morning. For the glory of your Son, Jesus, we pray in His name. Amen. Uh, anyone who is a, a parent or has worked, who has worked with kids, that's, that's all of us, right? You know that kids sometimes do dumb stuff. And we've all, we've all been kids before, so guess what? We're all guilty of doing dumb stuff. When I was a little boy, I used to like uh, I used to like to play with matches. And when I was probably seven or eight, I accidentally set my babysitter's shed on fire. So, brother, don't feel too bad about you know. It all happens to somebody. You know, we all do dumb. You know. Well, I. I set my babysitter's shed on fire. Nobody was hurt. It wasn't a total loss. But you know what? Later on that night, my dad taught me once and for all never to play with matches for, again. And I haven't since. I still love fire, though. That's why I, was, I, need, I needed this lit, right? But, you know, kids do dumb stuff. We do it, they do it, we've done it. We tell them not to play with fire. We tell them not to run into a busy street, whatever. But they do it anyway. And at the heart of that disregard for what we tell them not to do is disobedience. And disobedience is usually dangerous. Most often it is dangerous in one way or another. And it certainly was for Jonah. Disobedience is doing something other than what we've been told to do. Sometimes it's doing what we shouldn't do. But other times it's not doing what we should do, and either way, it's sin. Disobedience is sin. And just like playing with matches is a dumb and dangerous thing to do, running from God is a dumb and dangerous thing to do, which is what Jonah is doing. But the good news for Jonah, the good news for us, and here it is, 
This is it. If y'all want a super short sermon, I can stop after this next sentence. The good news for Jonah, the good news for us, is that God sovereignly rules over our lives even in our seasons of disobedience. I'm going to say that again. God sovereignly rules over our lives even in seasons of disobedience. That's the, that's the, the big takeaway from this chapter this morning. But I want us to... You're not going to get a super short sermon. <laughs> it's, hopefully it's not super long either. I've got to stay with my notes. Uh, I want us to unpack that statement. That God sovereignly rules over our lives even in seasons of disobedience. I want us to unpack that statement with, with three main truths from this passage. And the first one is that God sends the storm that we bring upon ourselves. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest upon the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Friends, where did this storm come from? The Lord. It came from the Lord. It says it. I mean, can we, we can't deny it. But the Lord, and you notice, in, you, know, you probably have it in all caps in your Bible. It's Yahweh in the Old Testament. But Yahweh, the Lord, the one true and living God of Israel, hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest. Friends, God sent the storm. God sent it. And we need to really come to terms with this. I mean, just flat out come to terms with it. We need to accept this. Because so many Christians today have this completely unbiblical notion that a good God who loves us would never send anything bad into our lives. Anything that hurts, anything that brings suffering, they say, well, no, God doesn't do that. You might have brought it upon yourself, or, or maybe the devil did it, but surely not God. Well, get, tell that to Jonah. Because God didn't just send the storm, did He? The text says He hurled a great wind. I mean, God threw this at His prophet. Psalm 148, verse 8 says, The stormy wind fulfills His word. God sent the storm. But, there's something else going on here too, right? You see it, don't you? Jonah did not have to go through this storm, did he? If he had been obedient... He wouldn't even be on this ship headed for Tarshish in southern Spain. He would be on his way to Nineveh across dry land. So even though God sent the storm, Jonah brought it on himself. You see, you see it? 
And here lies this mysterious tension. Oh, it's mysterious. Oh, it's deeper than the, than, than, than the, the bottomless oceans. <laughs> it, is, it is this mysterious tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Churches have split over this kind of, this kind of theology. But you know what? We can't just say, well, well, Jonah brought this on himself and act like God didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, the text says that he hurled the wind, a great wind. I didn't write that. John Calvin did not write. All the Calvinists in the world and everybody who preaches the sovereignty of God did not write that in the Bible. The Lord hurled the wind. So we can't just say that Jonah brought this on himself and God had nothing to do with it. But you know what? We also can't just say that God just... You know, here's, here's where we go. We say, well, God just... He allowed the storm. He allowed it. Did He allow this storm? Friends, He sent this storm. He didn't, look, he didn't give permission to the devil to send this storm. <laughs> He didn't give permission to the whatever. He, no, he threw the wind himself. God doesn't just allow this or that to happen. No, he is absolutely, comprehensively sovereign over... Listen, y'all... y'all he is sovereign over all the disasters in our lives. Has anybody ever had a disaster in your life? Guess what? God is sovereign over it. He didn't just say, no, I'm going to allow this to come. When you read the account of Job, which is actually where we're going you know, next here in Job 37... You can actually open your Bibles there if you want. And I know for a fact that Job 37 is to the left of Jonah. If you were here on Wednesday night, you, you, everybody here laughed, you know. So, Job 37. When you look at Job and all the terrible things, all the storms that came into his life, where did they come from? I mean, you know, you know that, that um, the devil went, if you read the first chapter of Job, it says that the sons of God went before the throne, went before the Lord, and, and God is the one. They were, the, the devil didn't go asking about Job. Check it out. No, God is the one who brought up Job. He said, have you considered my servant Job? The Lord asked the Satan, the, the, literally in the Bible, the Satan. Okay, the adversary, the accuser, where have you been? And he says, I've been all over the world going to and fro. And he said, and then God says, Yahweh says, have you considered my servant Job? Friends, I never want God to say that to the devil about me. 
But he did it with Job. So there were some storms in Job's life too. Some great winds. Job 37, beginning at verse number 9. And remember, this wasn't... What happened to Job was not... It didn't have anything to do with what he did. It was not because of him. Job 37, verse 9. Here's what it says. And through 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering, scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen fast. Verse 11. He, who? God. Loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter. Who's? His lightning. They turn around and around by whose? By His guidance to accomplish all that He commands them on the face of the habitable world. And here's the key verse. Verse 13 of Job 37. Whether for correction or for His land, in other words, to take care of the earth, or for love, the last Five words of that verse. He causes it to happen. Not the devil. Not the president. Not the politicians. God. Now you put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. I'm serious, y'all. The sovereignty of God is one of the hardest things for us to come to terms with because we don't understand the mystery of it. We question it. But Job, the book of Job, this is not Job speaking here, right? This is one of his friends. Which So this is the right theology from the wrong... Uh, application, by the way, if you read Job 37. But anyway, Job, Job 37, 13 says, whether it's for correction or for his land or for love, God causes it to happen. So what he, in other words, the storm, right? The wind, the ice, all of it. God controls the weather. He controls everything. Nothing happens on this planet without the divine stamp of approval. Now, Satan can claim that he owns all this all he wants. We're just talking to my wife. This is not in my notes. So, uh, I was talking to my wife the other day, and we were talking about how Satan went up, and t- or maybe we were having, I don't know, the whole family. But I-, I said, you know, Satan took Jesus upon the temple and said, all this is mine, I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. Well, I think he was actually overstepping his bounds. I mean, who did he think he was talking to? Jesus was there. He made it. And the devil's saying, all this is mine? He's got limited power. And we want to give him way more power than he has in the church today. Because we don't want to accept the fact that God will send bad things into our lives. But what happened to Jonah? 
Where did this storm come from? It came from the Lord. And what do you think God was doing with this storm? Was that? He was correcting his prophet. He was, correct, he was taking Jonah out to the woodshed, so to speak. I don't know if y'all say that around here or not. Does anybody know what I'm saying this morning? He, he took Jonah to the woodshed on the sea. He's correcting him. That's what Job 37, 13 says, whether for correction or for love or for, or for the land, God causes it to happen. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines the one that he loves it chastises everyone whom he receives. And though Jonah thought that he was going to die in this storm, it was actually, guess what guys, this storm was actually for his good. The storm ended up saving Jonah. But what about you? Okay, so let's get out of the theological... whatever. What about you? Are you under the discipline of the Lord this morning? Has He hurled a great tempest upon your life? Is it because you're running from Him like Jonah? Is it because you're living in some kind of persistent disobedience? And you know, we we need to really understand and see here in this text that our disobedience doesn't just affect us, does it? Look at verse 5. Our disobedience doesn't just affect us, it affects everybody around us. Verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. You see, Jonah's disobedience had not only put himself in danger, he put the people around him in danger too, and we do that all the time. The other day I, I, had to, I drove my wife to Morgantown. She had some kind of special appointment that she had to go to, and I don't know, she, I drove her. But she, she drives kind of fast on those country roads. And uh, she wanted to drive home so I could work on my sermon in the car. And I was like, no, <laughs> not today. I felt in danger. <laughs> now, I don't know what, she, sometimes she goes by herself, but she had this weird MRI thing and she was nervous and, I don't know, medicine, or, I don't know. But she needed a driver. Sometimes the driver puts everybody in the car in danger. And Jonah put everybody in this boat in danger. How many families have been hurt or completely destroyed because of the unrepentant sin of just one person? Usually it's the father, usually, but not always. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
How many once thriving churches have been reduced to a handful of people or even closed because they couldn't recover from some kind of scandal in their pastor's life? Friends, our sin affects everyone. And so did Jonah's. Jonah put everybody in that boat and that ship in danger. I want you to think about this, y'all. Are you putting the people you love in danger with your sin? Am I? Are you putting all of us in danger? These pagan sailors, they tried everything they could. They they started tossing off precious cargo. They were throwing it off the you know sides of the ship. They prayed every false god under the sun. I mean, this was literally an all-hands-on-deck prayer meeting, but where was Jonah? Where was the man of God? Verse 5, the end of verse 5 says, But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. Dude was snoozing. So the captain came and said, You know what, this, this kind of sounds like a familiar account of something in the New Testament, doesn't it? disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, the big giant lake there. And Jesus was asleep when a storm came up. There's some parallels here between Jonah and Jesus, but Jonah doesn't get the good end of those, I promise you. The captain came and said, what do, you, what do you mean, you sleeper? I think of Ephesians, what is it? Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, somewhere... Paul says, Awake, O sleeper. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. But guess what? Jonah's disobedient heart had grown so cold that he didn't even want to pray. Anybody? Anybody ever been there? But you've been so out of fellowship with God that you, you didn't even want to pray. You know what I think? I think Jonah, by this time, well, I'll tell you what, if you're, if, you're, if you're a believer, if you're a true Christian, and you're walking in, in straight up disobedience to God, well, I tell you, it weighs on you. And I think that by this time, Jonah was resigned to his fate because he knew this storm was all about him. You say, well, Pastor Brian, how do you, why would you say that? How do you know that? Well, this brings us to our second truth in this passage that God orders random events to push us toward confession. God orders random events to push us toward confession. Look at verse 7. They, the mariners, the sailors, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. This ancient practice of casting lots, you've heard of it before. It, it, 
It involved using stones, rocks, or some kind of dice type of objects to reach a decision or to discern what to do when you didn't know what to do. You know, I guess it would be kind of like drawing straws for us today. Anybody ever done that? The disciples cast lots in Acts chapter 1 to choose between Justice and Matthias as a replacement for Judas who had killed himself after betraying the Lord. It was common. And on the surface, casting lots seemed like totally random. But in a world ruled by a sovereign God, nothing is random. So Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 16.33, you probably want to write that verse down. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. As something as random as casting lots, the writer of Proverbs here in 16.33 says, It came from the Lord. And here the lot falls on Jonah. Look at the end of verse 7. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. (laughs) Well, that's got to be a... You talk about butterflies in your stomach kind of thing. Verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. This is Yahweh, right? Who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, What is this that you have done? What? In other words, why have you brought this? Why are you bringing your problems with your God to us? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And Jonah's probably figured it out by now that God has his number. He knows the Lord is sovereign over the lots that are cast. And now all eyes are on him. And God is starting to push Jonah into a corner that he cannot get out of. Look at verse 11. Let me just pause for a minute. You know, I want to say that again because we don't hear this anymore. God is starting to push Jonah. I'm telling you, we've got this idea about God who just never, you know, you do what you want to do and, you know, I'm just going, I'm here if you want me. I'm here if you need me. Well, I I imagine Jonah would have probably appreciated that. But is that what happened? No. The lots that were cast pointed to Jonah. The storm, everything pointed to Jonah. And here he is being pushed into this corner that he can't get out of. The sailors are like, who are you? What have you done? Why, Why are you here? You're fleeing from God. Verse 11, they said to him, Well, (laughs) what shall we do to you 
they, the sea may quiet down for us. I mean, we don't want to die. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. The storm got worse. He's, and Jonah said to them, pick me up, just hurl me. That's the same language, right? That he used about God hurling the wind. Hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For, here it is, here it is. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And friends, the truth finally comes out. Jonah confesses, it's me. I'm the reason all of this is happening. Have you ever been brought to a point in your life where you had no choice but to tell the truth about your sin? Amen. Friends, let Jonah be a warning to you. I wish, I, I wish we had a bunch of more young people here today. You, young boys, my children, these first couple rows, parents, you take this home and you give this to them. Let Jonah be a warning to you. God will use what otherwise seems like ordinary random events to expose your sin and push you toward confession. You don't think God pushes anybody? Ask Pharaoh. <laughs> God will use what seems like ordinary events to drive you toward confession. The man who drives 90 miles away to commit adultery stops to pump gas and the best friend of his wife who just happened to go shopping that day in the same town, sees him at the gas station with his mistress in the car. What are the odds? The teenager who lies to her parents about where she is and who she's with is randomly spotted by a family friend from church who just innocently mentions seeing her at this place with this person at this time to her parents. Friends, we could live through a thousand random scenarios and God is sovereign over every single one. And He will out our sin. Oh my goodness, we need to take this to heart this morning. If you're living in sin, God will out you. If you belong to Him. Now, if you don't belong to Him, He'll let you go. But if you belong to Him, He will out your sin. Jonah is outed. Boom, right here. It's on the screens for everybody, right? Everybody sees it. So what does he do? He confesses to the sailors, listen, if y'all, if y'all take me and throw me off this ship, the storm's going to settle down. Just get rid of me. Just get me off this ship. You'll be all right. Verse 13. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord. Now here's, I, I, I don't even have nowhere near enough time to go through this, but I want you to notice as a sort of an undercurrent in this text, the progression of these pagan sailors, these idolaters here, they go from the, praying to any god to telling Jonah to pray to his God, and then finally they're praying to his God. Verse 14, they said, They call out to the Lord, to Yahweh, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done... Wait, what did that say? You, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So even the pagan sailors recognize the sovereignty of God in this storm. And you know what's amazing here? These pagan sailors, listen y'all, these pagan sailors had more concern for Jonah than Jonah had for the thousands that he refused to go and preach to in Nineveh. They didn't want to throw him off the ship. One man. They didn't want to throw him off, but guess what? His time was up. His time running, running from God was up. So verse 15, they picked him up, picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. They just tossed him, man. Get out of here. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You know what's so awesome about this? Is that God used Jonah's disobedience to introduce himself to these pagan sailors and change their lives forever. Friends, I promise you this. These men never forgot Yahweh, the one true and living God of Israel. They never forgot Him. But what about you? Is the heavy hand of the Lord upon your life this morning pushing you to a breaking point? Is the vice grip of conviction around your soul? If it is, friends, it's time to confess and repent. But we have one more verse. Verse verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we come to our last, our last main truth, last heading from this passage, that God appoints our rescue in unexpected ways. And I imagine when Jonah went into the sea that he thought it was over for him. He was probably I don't know I don't know what he felt. He thought he was going to die under the chastising hand of God. But then as if things couldn't get any worse. <laughs> He's swallowed by some kind of great fish. Just swallowed whole. 
And there are two points to be made here in verse 17. First, this was a miracle. We have no idea what kind of creature this was that swallowed him. People say, well, this, that, you know. It doesn't matter. We don't know. There's no point in speculating because it was it was a miracle. Spending three days in the stomach of any living creature and living to tell about it is not humanly possible. Now I know there were some reports. If you read on the internet, some somewhere about some some guys I don't know several years ago who was swallowed by some kind of great whale. And they, it, it's not true. It's not true any more than the, that, 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 that thing about people digging into, you know, digging into the earth and hearing screams coming out of hell. That, that wasn't true either. It's not true. This is not humanly possible. This is a miraculous event. We don't know where this great fish came from. God could have created it that moment. The Bible says the Lord appointed it. Secondly, just like the Lord sent the storm, by the way, if your Bible says whale, I don't know what the King James says there, but the Hebrew word that's used there for great fish is not the normal Hebrew word for whale. So if you've got this idea that it's a whale, it's not a whale. The best way to read it is great fish. But, here's, here's the point. Like the Lord sent the storm, just like He ordered the random lot that was cast, verse 17 says the Lord appointed the fish. And the point is that God was sovereign over it all. But the real irony here is that what should have been Jonah's certain death was actually his rescue. Right? You get swallowed by a fish, you're, you're dead. If it, but, but if this fish had not swallowed Jonah, he would have died in the Mediterranean Sea. So friends, the point throughout is that what seems like a disaster in your life, even if you brought it upon yourself like Jonah did, it could very well be the means that God uses to give you a divine course correction. You hear me? You see, Jonah is going to Nineveh to preach, whether he, li- whether he wants to or not. He's going. God don't give him a choice. That was a foregone conclusion from the word go. But God is going to teach His disobedient prophet something about His great love along the way. So, the whole passage is really then about the sovereign pursuit of God for those He loves. Friends, He will chase us as far as we run in our disobedience. He will move heaven and hell to rescue us from ourselves and to bring us back into right relationship with Him. That is the nature of His covenant love. And it's what He's been doing since the fall in Eden. Right? He came looking for disobedient Adam in the garden, didn't He? He said, Adam, where are you? 
He came looking for disobedient Jonah in the sea. And here's, here's where that scarlet thread of redemption starts to weave itself into Jonah's story. It's where we find Christ right here. Ready? Jonah was the disobedient prophet who refused to reach out to the lost. Jesus was the obedient prophet who came to seek and to save the lost. Jonah fled the will of God on the Mediterranean Sea. But Jesus embraced the will of God in the garden. The will of God in the, gar- in the garden of Gethsemane. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish for his own sin. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the grave of death for the sin of others. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, See, Jesus believed this. You got Bible scholars today who tell you, well, no, no, this didn't really happen. No, Jesus believed it happened. Just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, Jesus says, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. In other words, they're going to stand when Jesus... When, when, when those people who rejected Christ are, are, are judged at the final judgment, when it comes their time, Jesus says the, the men of, of, of Nineveh, they're going to stand up. They're going to rise up and condemn it. That generation who rejected Christ because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. That's what he says. Nineveh repented. So that, that's, that's a spoiler alert. Nineveh repents. But Jesus says, Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. <sighs> Friends, Jonah was always pointing us to Christ. The greater Jonah, who by his spirit and his word is preaching to the Nineveh of our disobedient hearts this morning. How will you respond? I know I've gone long. I'm done. I've got 600,000 more words. No, listen. Will you turn from Will you turn from sin and self and flee to Christ in repentance and faith? Or will you stay on the run from God? Maybe you are a Christian, but there's a pattern of disobedience in your life. Friend, God won't let you go on like that forever. No, no. If you truly belong to Him, He will not let you go on like that forever. He will wreck your life if He has to. Just like He did to Jonah. But He will bring you back into the fold. Maybe there's someone that you love that's living in disobedience. Will you stand in the gap for them this morning and ask God to do whatever He has to do? Will you do that? Say, God, do whatever. Or if, you, if, they're, <laughs> if they're 60, 60 seconds from death, 
will you do whatever you have to do to bring them to a place of confession and repentance? You stand in the gap for that person. If so, we have a lot to consider this morning. Let's bow together and pray.